0: And welcome to the insurance and injury law show right here with Savannah to Market. Here's the deal. 416-216-5910 is the number. You want help? At the is the email. We'll get to the injury calculator in just a minute here, but first as we always start my friend with the week that was
1: well, John, uh, hello uh, to everyone who's listening. Let me tell you about two cases uh, that I've dealt with. One is a long-term disability case, and the other one is a car accident case. Uh, two cases uh, that can give us a lot of lessons, uh, especially for people out there who find themselves in the exact same situation. So the long-term disability case. I've mm-hmm. had this lady call me about her husband, who was a long-term disability due to a heart condition. He's 58 years old. He's receiving about $2,400 per month, non-taxable, his LTD insurer, and he's been on LTD for about one and a half years. Now, he was recently asked for further medical proof from his trained cardiologist and family doctor that he's unable to work. Now, this is routine. Insurance companies, mm-hmm. uh, whenever you're in disability, will routinely ask you for follow-up medical documentation reports just to make sure that they're papering their file and they can continue giving you payments. And so uh, this lady and her husband, they provided letters, but the insurance company uh, was saying that it's not enough. So they wrote him that his benefits will terminate at the two-year mark. And he wanted to know and she wanted to know what to do. And what I told them, and what I'll tell everyone who's listening is that this is actually quite common. Most people get taken aback uh, when the adjuster handling their file tells them, listen, we have insufficient medical documentation. Or at the two-year mark or we're approaching the two-year mark when the definition of disability changes, Mm. we're going to be cutting you off. In fact, unfortunately, insurance companies, disability companies, uh, insurance companies, oftentimes wait for that one-and-a-half to two-year mark, and that's when they cut you off. And they'll use any excuse in the book. And sometimes it's valid, but most times, at least when I've seen these cases, it's not valid. Uh, The the family doctor or the specialist or specialists have provided ample medical documentation Mm -hmm. and opinions that the person is entitled to disability, they're still unable to go back to work, uh, but the insurance company disregards all that, uh, disregards all these opinions, uh, specialist opinions, and simply cut the person off. It's almost routine. With it's these, almost right? routine, exactly. And what are they doing, really? They are betting that you are simply going to go away. They are betting that they can shut down their file. They don't have to pay anything. And, of course, a lot of people panic, and that's what they do. Uh, they think to themselves, how can I, you know, this, this one individual or this family who's struggling, how can we take on this huge insurance company? Mm-hmm. It's a David and Goliath situation. And, again, I love the analogy of David and Goliath. Because, again, remember, who won that battle? Okay? It was David. It was exactly. It was David. This is exactly what happens in these cases. You make sure you don't back down. Give me a call, okay? I will assess uh, your case. I will assess your chances at success, which usually are fairly high when you're dealing with that kind of an excuse for termination of benefits. And we're simply going to take it one step at a time. Listen, it all starts from one simple phone call to me or an email to me explaining your situation. All right. I ask you for a few more details, and then I give you your options. And, John, I've done just that uh, with a listener to the show that I had met with about a week and a half ago in Mississauga in our office there. I met with him and his wife, uh, very, very pleasant people. And it it was a very similar situation in that the insurance company, who had uh, accepted the fact that this gentleman was disabled for for a while, over a year, uh, now have said, no, sorry, we don't have sufficient medical documentation and we're going to cut you off not difficult to resolve these cases. Uh, In terms of timing and how long it takes, it varies. But the the thing that people have to understand is that insurance companies oftentimes will cut you off off of long-term disability at about the one and a half to two-year mark. They will say that the definition of disability changes, and that's true. It becomes a broader definition, and we'll talk about that a bit later. But the lesson here is that if you are cut off long-term disability, don't simply assume that the insurance company is correct in its position. Oftentimes, they do that in order to try and weed out as many claimants as possible, and they can close their files. So that's the first one. Second one, this is a car accident case. So I had this lady call me on behalf of her husband, who was in a car accident about three uh, weeks ago. Very, very bad accident. He lost consciousness. When he woke up, the ambulance, police, and firefighters had arrived at the scene. The at-fault car driver uh, fled the scene of the accident. And this does happen from time to time. Uh, as you can imagine, people do flee the scene of the accident, especially if uh, they panic. And, and so this, uh, this, this lady who called me uh, told me that her husband suffered serious injuries to his face, his abdomen from the seat belt, and the steering wheel. Mm. And the wife worried that because they could not identify the at-fault party, the person who caused the accident, they had no recourse. And again, we spoke about that before, John, on this show. I wanted to spell any myths. If you are involved in a car accident uh, and th- there is there is uh, uh, evidence, and in fact, you were in a car accident, right? You, you have uh, impact to your car, uh, your car is in a ditch, there is damage, whatever, or, or, or we have witnesses, uh, you can make a claim against your own insurance company as though it's the at-fault insurance company or the at-fault driver. So that's pursuant to Section 265 of the Insurance Act. So what does that mean? It means that if you're in a car accident and for whatever reason you cannot identify whoever was at fault for the accident because they fled the scene or something happened, you just can't identify them, you are entitled to make a claim against your own insurance company and, and we can help you deal with that. So again, they were very, very relieved to hear that. They simply assumed that they had no recourse. So for people out there, The fact that you are in a car accident and someone has fled the scene does not mean that you have no recourse. You do. Same level of benefit, though? Well, the benefit changes. You have up okay. to $200,000, but that's $200,000 that this lady did not think Absolutely. that her husband had. So right. that's very, very important to understand. Yes, the level of benefit is not the same, but you still have money there. There's still a pocket that you can go to
0: to make sure that you get compensation for pain and suffering, for income loss, etc. We'll get to some emails after a short break. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca and the phone number anytime to get a hold of Savannah. Real simple, 416-216-5910. This is the insurance an Injury Law Show, talk radio, AM640. Back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Savant's number outside of show hours anytime, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelayer.ca. The email I mentioned, we'll get to one uh, right away as they've already started coming in. I got one here, says uh, from Ron from Toronto. I slipped and fell on ice about two years ago in a shopping plaza near my home. I broke my ankle and lost about six months from work with totaled approximately about $32,000. I went to a paralegal who started a claim in small claim court, but after listening to your show, I'm not sure I shouldn't be switching to another lawyer or not. Ron, the answer is an unequivocal
1: yes. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. I'm actually surprised that the paralegal took on your case. I've seen this happen a handful of times. Why? Yeah, g- generally, it doesn't happen because most paralegals, you know, they, they know what the limits are in terms of where they, who they're allowed to represent and okay. to, what, to what number. Paralegals, uh, Licensed paralegals, are allowed to appear on behalf of clients at small claims court, at tribunals as well. But in this case, it would be small claims court. Now, the problem is that the limit for claiming at small claims court is $25,000. Now, Ron, you're saying that you had missed $32,000 worth of time Uh, because of this incident, that's not even taking into consideration your pain and suffering. I'm not sure if you need any help around the home or if you have expenses for physio, rehab uh, that you're putting out of pocket. You're just talking work. Yeah, exactly, just work. So that means that the claim automatically based on the information you've just given me is worth more than than what a paralegal would be able to represent you with. So I'm not sure what happened there. I'm not sure if you were explained that and you decided to simply uh, uh, shave off whatever the rest of the amount that you'd be entitled to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I have a claim for somebody and it's worth $32,000 for income, chances are there are other parts of the claim that are either not being claimed right now, like pain and suffering and everything else we discussed, uh, or that for whatever reason, the paralegal thought that from a liability standpoint, in other words, the chances of your success with the case is so slim that it might be better to pursue it with small claims. Just on the on the face of the email that I've just seen, it makes absolutely no sense to me why right. this claim was started in small claims court, which is what a paralegal would be able to do. They can't go to the, you know to court. You have to go to to a lawyer, you know, like like us. Right. A- and 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 so, Ron, I, I suggest that uh, you you speak with your paralegal. You can give me a call, and we can speak about your case in a little bit more detail. But people should understand that if you, they go to small claims court you are limited by the monetary amount allowable
0: in small claims, which, which is only $25,000. That uh, number, on is 416-216-5910 or help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca. You want to send Savannah an email with some more details, keep the conversation going. Let's talk about car accidents. So what happens if you're uh, you're in a car accident and the other driver who's at fault has very little insurance? Let's say they have uh, 200000 bucks in coverage and your damages are worth a million plus. What do you do? So what happens if you've been in an accident and the
1: other driver, the at fault driver, has very little insurance, and that happens. Some people uh, pay for just the minimum amount of insurance, and so let's say that they're covered, uh, you know, two hundred thousand uh, dollars, and and you know you have a much more significant claim, or you have multiple family members that have significant claims. Well, what do you do? Well, luckily, uh, th- there is a um, an endorsement uh, that we have on our policies, auto policy, mm-hmm. is called an OPCF 44R Family Protection Coverage. And what does that mean? It means that to the extent that your claim or your family member's claims exceed that minimum amount that the other driver has, you can claim the difference from your insurance company up to a certain limit. So let's say, for example, I have up to a million dollars with this OPCF 44R endorsement. Okay. That's what I have. I've purchased that. Uh, I've paid for that. I pay that on a monthly basis. Most people do. And let's, let's uh, let's assume that I'm in a car accident and the other driver caused me injuries, which should be worth around $800,000. But they only have $200,000. So what happens? Well, the remaining uh, the remaining six hundred thousand dollars comes from my insurance company, and you're covered because you got up to. You're mill. covered wow. exactly. The important thing though is, and this is this is you know the the uh, trick here, uh, and again, not a lot of lawyers do uh, know this. Uh, they should. Uh, the lawyers that deal in this area of law, uh, but they have to make a claim then as against their own client's insurance company. So in my case, I would have to make a claim not only against the other driver. But also against my own insurance company to make sure that I have both insurance companies, the other driver's mm-hmm. and mine, together, so that when it comes down to go to a mediation to have a settlement, both of them, both pockets are there, so that both of them can make me whole.
0: Yeah, worst case scenario: what happens if the other driver has no insurance,
1: zero? Well, that's uh, we were just talking about that that uh, with, uh, with 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 the. Um, Uh, The lady that had called me uh, this past week, Uh, in in that case, again, uh, Section 265 of the Insurance Act deals with that. You have uh, up to $200,000 from your own insurance company. Uh, Again, it's not the million dollars, but, you know, John, most claims out there, most car accident claims don't really exceed $200,000. Yeah, And I'm just talking from the standpoint of a plaintiff lawyer as well as a defense lawyer. Some cases clearly are uh, worth a lot more. Uh, They can be catastrophic. uh, And there are other avenues that we can deal uh, in those situations. But most cases, you will resolve these claims in under $200,000 and you can go to your own insurance company for that.
0: Most people wouldn't want to do that. They didn't think they even could or would be scared to, right?
1: Well, keep in mind that if the accident wasn't your fault, and again, I'm not a broker, and a lot of people ask me, will my premiums go up? How does that happen? I, I can't really advise on that. But at the end of the day, if you are injured, legitimately injured, and you need to... Uh, um, recourse and you need compensation your insurance company is there to provide that in the event that the other there is no other insurance company or if the other insurance company uh, is is deficient
0: emails help at the insurance we'll pick up another one when we uh, on the other side of the break the number to get a hold of Savan 416-216-5910 this is the insurance and injury law show on Talk Radio AM 640 back with more of the insurance and injury law show here Talk Radio AM 640 the number to get a hold of Savan outside the show is 416 216 The email is simple as well. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We're talking about uh, things have to do with car accidents. It could be that time of year. What happens if the the at-fault driver was, say, impaired or driving without a license? What happens then? Well,
1: that happens as well. Uh, And again, it's one of those cases that makes uh, people who are injured really, really nervous. Uh, other than the fact that they have to contend with their injuries and the after effects, perhaps they can't go to work, perhaps they need you know, a lot of treatments that they can't afford, what happens if they find out that the other driver, you're right, uh, was uh, driving dangerously or, yeah. or you know, somehow breached their policy, they were drunk, so their insurance company naturally is going to say, wait a second, you driver whom we have insured have breached the policy, we're not going to cover you. Well, it's not exactly correct. Th- they are in fact going to take the position that they're insured, breach their policy. But it doesn't mean that they have no exposure. In fact, uh, let's say, John, you and I are in a car accident. Uh, y- y- you were uh, drinking and driving because... Mm-hmm that never happens. I'm just making sure that people know that. Completely fictitious here. Completely. But let's say that you were drunk and you you caused an accident. Your insurance company is going to tell you, uh, you, John, breached your policy, but it doesn't mean that they don't owe me any money, uh, this person who was injured. What happens is that instead of the $1 million that you would potentially have, uh, your insurance company would have to pay me for my injuries, it would drop down to $200,000. But remember, I mean, this is why People have their own insurance companies. So if your insurance company takes the position that you breached your policy, so their limits drop down to 200000 mm-hmm. and let's say my injuries are worth 500000 I can then go to my insurance company and make a claim against my insurance company for the difference. Remember that's that OPC of 44R yeah. yeah. endorsement? Yeah. Yeah. Very important. The government put that in place so that we have a safety net. So in the event that you do something wrong, you injure me, your insurance company will not pay me everything I deserve. I can go to my own insurance company and wow. get the difference up to a certain amount, usually up to a million dollars.
0: Does that include those without a license as well?
1: Well, if they have no license, it all depends. Did the license expire? Right. I- again, it all depends. If they had insurance, listen, if if you were driving with insurance and, and you misrepresent to your insurance company certain facts, your insurance company may have an argument that Avoid it shouldn't be paying altogether. Wow. But again, this is why uh, you should always be carrying your own insurance because if there is any screw-ups on your end, I can go to my insurance company and make a claim with my insurance company.
0: Injury Calculator. Tell me about it. All right.
1: It. Injury Calculator. So this is an extremely useful tool, and it's been used uh, quite a lot. I've been getting a lot of uh, uh, positive feedback mm-hmm. uh, from other lawyers as well, by the way. This is an online tool that we had created a while back, uh, my team and I. It's a free tool. It takes about 30 seconds to use. Uh, Go to injurycalculator.ca. And I'm just going to go through an example. Uh, What happens is that you go in there, you say, uh, you click on the Get Started uh, button, and you can input a few pieces of information and then get a range of damages or or a dollar amount that your injury could potentially be worth in Ontario. So what does that mean? Let's say, let's, you know, put the information. Let's say accident date uh, happened uh, last year in October. Accident location, let's say it's Ottawa how old are you? Let's say that you are 32. Cause of your injury, let's put a car accident. Who was at fault? Someone else. Uh, did the injury affect your income? Let's say it did. Uh, and let's say that as a result, I can't do any overtime. I press continue. So then it asks me the category that best describes the main injury. Sure. Uh, was it uh, back. W- back? Okay. <laughs> yes, let's, put, let's put back. So I'm going to click on back. And now it's asking me, was it a tear of ligaments, a disc bulge, a fracture? Yeah. Let's, do the, let's do the fracture. The, the fracture, yeah, okay. Man. So you like the gruesome experiences, you huh? know. Exactly. That's right, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you experience chronic pain, John? Yep. Yes, of course right you Right beside do. me. <laughs> Did you require surgery, yes or no? <laughs> no. No, all right. So we're going to click no. And then it tells us uh, that under a review of Canadian case law, you can get as little as $56,000 for your injury, for pain and suffering, up to $140,000. Why the window? Now, the window is... And sometimes the window is large and sometimes it's small. The the reason it's there is because uh, there are back injuries uh, uh, back injuries can affect people in different ways, uh, perhaps in your case john you 're able to go back to work uh, you know within a week after the accident, despite the fact that you had fractured it and in fact, I had a lady a few years back that had just that she she fractured the vertebrae in her back and she was back at work within a matter of weeks Wow and then you have other people that uh, clearly the injury had affected them so much so. That they were never a- never able to go back mm-hmm. to work. so the law recognizes that different injuries affect people differently and, and it may affect you if, if you know you're younger or you're older differently uh, depending on gender depending on pre-existing conditions for sure there's a variety of things that, that can that can work in there so case law just generally across the country has recognized that uh, this particular injury, given the information that we've just inputted, uh, can potentially produce for you uh, a, a an award or a settlement of 56 thousand dollars to 140 but that's just for pain just and pain suffering. Just pain and suffering, right? Just pain that and can suffering. That could be the small amount, yeah? A hundred percent, yeah. I've had cases where the pain and suffering component was worth $30,000, and yet the person had $300,000 in economic losses. Wow. Because the person wasn't able to go back to work for, let's say, a couple of years. So very important for people, people to understand that when you go and use this tool, it gives you an idea uh, of what you may potentially get for pain and suffering only. And of course, there is a little window uh, at the end where you can enter some information if you'd like to uh, reach out to me. We can have a chat. We can have a a quick discussion. I can give you a much more comprehensive assessment of your case.
0: It's just handy because it gives you a good baseline as as a springboard to go from, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And this is something that many personal injury lawyers are very hesitant to provide and to give because, again, every case is unique in its facts. And we haven't invented the wheel here. All we've done here is taken a survey of Canadian cases. This is not me saying this is how much you're going to get because I've said so. This is us looking at at cases across the country with people with similar injuries, and what we've seen courts award these people in those various circumstances. You just
0: did all the homework in the back we end. We just did all the homework, yep. and it's you just a it.
1: database. It's just a very, very quick and anonymous, by the way, database uh, that you can just use. You don't have to, to submit anything
0: to me. You can just do it for your own uh, you know, personal walk away. Uh, edification. Yeah. Cool. We'll get to another email after a short break. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca would be the address for the email and the number to get a hold of Savant, 416-216-5910. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM 640. Back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. Talk Radio AM 640 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. I promised uh, an email we get back. This time it'll be uh, Steve from Allison says, I fell in a department store about three months ago because of some water on the floor. I didn't report it and just left because I was really embarrassed. I have a lot of pain in my back now and my doctor is sending me for an MRI. Should I report it to the store now given that I may have seriously injured myself?
1: Yes, you should. Uh, Steve. Um, a- and what I would actually advise you is to uh, give me a call uh, or to send me a quick email so we can have a bit more of a discussion about your case. Generally speaking, as a rule, I tell people that no matter if if you're embarrassed uh, or, or uh, if if for whatever reason you think that you need to get out of there because it's just, it doesn't look good. You know, you just fail. There's a lot of people. Look you look know, like a fool if you're embarrassed. Like right? yeah. And that happens quite often, but it's very, very important that the incident is documented yeah. because what's going to happen is an incident report will be generated. And and what's that going to do is it's going to tie the incident uh, to the event. Oftentimes when I was working as a defense lawyer for insurance companies, we would have situations like this where no one uh, would be reporting an incident, where someone would not be reporting an incident for months and months at a time. And then they would be submitting a claim for compensation. Of course, we're saying, wait a second, where did this come from? Do we even believe that this person was in the store at that time? And then there is an evidentiary issue. Well, you know, can you produce a receipt? Is there a witness? Is there someone that can uh, uh, substantiate the fact that you were there? In some cases, end up failing as a result. Uh, But, you know, there's a ways around it. I mean, for example, if Steve, uh, in this situation, if he had gone to a walking clinic or his family doctor the day of, the next day, maybe in two days, and spoke about the incident, well, then we still have a quasi-contemporaneous record. Exactly. But very important that if you are injured uh, in a department store, in the mall, anywhere where it's somebody else who owns the area, a shopping plaza, if there is an incident, you or someone you know, make sure you make an incident report. Make sure that the injuries are documented. Make sure that whatever the cause of, of the injury, whether it's water on the floor or, or uh, some clothes that are just uh, strewn around the, the floor, anything like that, make sure that's
0: recorded. Or take a picture of it, right? Because everybody's uh, got a smartphone, right? Pictures are
1: gold, 100%. Yeah. If you can have pictures, let alone video, I mean, that's absolutely gold, not to mention witnesses. But again, not everyone is going to be thinking of that. A lot of people in those situations are either embarrassed or they're injured and they're focused on their injury. Mm-hmm. Just understand that there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Clearly, if there was water on the floor here, uh, somebody didn't do their job unless, unless, this, unless this is a situation where it was raining outside and, and another patron came in two seconds earlier and just shook yeah. off their umbrella. Uh, you know, They should have had somebody cleaning up or they should have put some pylons. Again, very, very important, Steve. Uh, make sure that uh, you contact me. Uh, in fact, it's probably better if you contact me and I send a notice letter because I will know what to draft and what to say exactly. to the store. Uh, so for people out there, if you're injured in, uh, in a situation like that, hopefully you're not. Make sure that you report it to, to uh, the store employees, department employees, because they will make an incident report, and that document is crucial.
0: Especially coming up this time of year, there's going to be a lot of ice Tons. coming in the front doors of stores. and oh, slush ice, just going to be a mess, It right?
1: happens all the time, and, yeah. and sometimes it's nobody's fault. I'm not saying yeah. that every time this happens, it's somebody's fault. It's not. God knows I get criticized. Uh, lawyers in general uh, get criticized a lot for uh, being ambulance chasers. And you know, so, some, of them, some of us are. I mean, some people are. Some lawyers who do this are. Uh, but there are a lot of very good lawyers out there uh, who, who will not just take on any case. If mm-hmm. I interview a client and I think that, you know, it wasn't the store's fault, it wasn't the plaza's fault, I will tell the individual that. Th- there is no law in Canada that says because you were injured, you're automatically, automatically in town. Yeah. This is not one of those cases. Nope. It's not. Gotcha. Having said that... Oftentimes, if somebody slips and uh, falls on water in in a store, uh, there's usually a a reason. Either the maintenance procedures were not in place, uh, the cleaning crew were not doing their job, something happened.
0: That's just in my experience. Let's get into some car accident questions here. Now, the rule, uh, new rules right of the road are now here. So if I'm involved in a car accident caused by, say, uh, a, dista- a distracted driver, now this is something new in the last several years, can I get more compensation because they were distracted texting and all that business? Right. So
1: the whole texting thing is huge now, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we now have demerit points and we have higher fines. Uh, no, uh, y- you don't get more compensation. Uh, having said that, if the person who injured you, uh, who caused the accident, in fact, was distracted and was charged with that and convicted uh, with that. Distracted driving. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's, it's almost uh, an unthinkable thing for their insurance company uh, to, to argue that somehow you were at fault for the accident. So it doesn't entitle you to more compensation, but certainly it puts a heavier onus, I would say, on the defendant or on the person that's uh, that the claim is being made against. Because clearly, if they were charged and convicted of distracted driving, their insurance company and defense lawyer, and again, speaking as a former defense lawyer myself, mm-hmm. I would have a tough time arguing that my client uh, is somehow not at fault for the accident.
0: Could it, like the drunk driving before it uh, that we mentioned a couple of segments ago, could being charged with distracted driving and you know getting into an accident and injuring something, could that void your policy as well? That's
1: an interesting question. I don't think so. I haven't seen right. anything at this point. I haven't read anything that would tell me that. Yeah. Uh, really, distracted driving, uh, at least the way that I interpret it and the way that I see it out there, uh, would would mean that you were negligent uh, it, it doesn 't mean you were racing for example, which is a uh, a criminal offense it doesn 't mean that you were uh, driving drunk, even though the effects by the way of uh, distracted driving is it can be the same it can be the same yeah. no it doesn 't mean that but again, keep in mind that if for whatever reason the insurance company uh, for the person who caused the accident does take the position that their insured breached the policy okay it does take the position that it is as bad. You always have recourse against your own insurance company for compensation.
0: We'll take a uh, short break. In the meantime, uh, get some emails to us, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and the number is 416-216-5910 to get all Savannah. We continue with the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM640. Back with more of the insurance and injury law show here at Talk Radio AM six forty Savan's number it's on his hip anytime four one six two one six fifty nine ten and the email address is help at the insurance lawyer I promise some emails to come through we'll get the one from uh, Jeffy up here in Oxford says. My wife suffered a serious concussion in a car accident about a year ago. She's still going through uh, the Brain Injury Clinic in Toronto, and we've been told that we should get a lawyer because her condition may be permanent. She's been getting accident benefits, and we haven't had any issues with our insurance yet. Do you think that we need a lawyer right now, or can we wait till things get a little ugly? You need a lawyer right now, Jeff. I'm not saying this in a soul-serving way. You don't have okay. to call me. I mean,
1: call any other reputable uh, uh, personal injury lawyer. You need a lawyer for two reasons. Number one you're saying that that uh, your wife is getting accident benefits but you don't necessarily know unless you're in the industry if she's getting all the benefits that she's okay. supposed to get that's number 1 so you got to make sure that the accident benefits file even though it's approved that it's approved correctly. In other words, everything uh, in the application has been uh, has been done correctly. Like what could be missing? Uh, I've seen situations where uh, certain lawyers and paralegals even, let alone individuals, haven't claimed for income replacement benefits, uh, haven't claimed for certain treatments. Perhaps the rehab clinic was taking advantage of the individual. I've seen situations, remember we spoke about some rehab clinics, which are uh, a bit shady. Yeah. I've seen situations where those rehab clinics uh, provide uh, snow removal services through a third-party contractor, and then uh, they end up uh, uh, somehow inflating the amounts of money that they're charging for certain treatments to make up the difference. How shifty. That's illegal. That's illegal. And a lot of these kinds of clinics are actually uh, red flagged by insurance companies it's just, it's, it's amazing to me what you see in this industry. So very, very important uh, to make sure that the accident benefits file is, is uh, done correctly. Now, what I don't know from this, uh, from this email from Jeff is whether or not his wife or anyone else was at fault for the accident. Right. Because if, in fact, there was someone else that was at fault for the accident, so, for example, she was a passenger uh, and the driver of her vehicle was uh, at fault, or perhaps there was another driver or a chain collision, whatever – she may potentially have a claim against someone else's insurance company for much more than what she's getting from her own acts benefits insurer. If she has a concussion, again, I want people to understand, a concussion is a brain injury. It's just a subset of it. It's, it's been recognized as a brain injury. You have some of the top medical minds in Toronto mm-hmm. uh, who, who, who work with people with concussion. In fact, uh, the uh, gentleman we spoke about earlier that I met with about a week and a half ago, Uh, that was recently cut off of long-term disability has been suffering from concussion. And he's being treated by one of the foremost doctors who deals with this area uh, of medicine in Toronto. And that doctor has said, look, over the last 25 years, uh, we've been able to improve the treatments for the symptoms, uh, but we haven't necessarily made headway in terms of understanding more about concussion. I don't know if that's true or not. My point is that concussion is extremely serious. If a year and a half, Jeff, have passed and she's still not doing that well and she's still being treated... If someone else was at fault for that accident, a claim should have been started, uh, you know, in almost immediately right. after the accident happened, for compensation, for pain and suffering, for any income losses that she's going to uh, lose in the future. Keep in mind, these kinds of claims can take a while to resolve, especially when they're brain injury type claims, catastrophic claims, spinal injury claims. Very, very important to start these claims as soon as possible. So, Jeff, give me a call. Uh, after the show, uh, email me. You'll find that I'm going to respond fairly uh, fairly quickly, as, as quickly as I can. For sure. Uh, a- and we can just have a chat and I can give you your options. At the very least, I'll be able to review the accident benefits claim that you guys had filed and see if anything has been missed.
0: Jeff, that number, 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to email Savannah. You talk about quite often. In fact, usually most shows about the urgency. So you've often talked about uh, along those lines, not waiting and starting claims, like you just said right away, what are the, uh, what are the, the dangers of waiting too long, especially claims when someone's seriously injured? Well, it, above and beyond what you've already
1: mentioned. Above right? and beyond. So, so we spoke, I think it was last show or two shows ago, uh, about a case that I've seen recently where uh, the law firm had started a claim almost on the last day of the limitation period. Uh, even though I think right. that the individual... Remember, it was a day or two out, right? Exactly. Like two right out. down to the and, wire. And that's after the person had contacted them shortly after the accident. And keep in mind, the limitation period for these types of claims is two years in Ontario, there is no reason why law firms and lawyers wait almost to the last day. It's almost negligent in my view. It's one thing to wait a little bit. If the person has you know, soft tissue injuries that don't seem to be that serious. Or if they're young. Or, or if, if they're young, right. Uh, if you're under 18, the limitation period does not start to run. It only starts right. to run uh, when you become an adult uh, legally. Right. So, so that's not an issue. And in fact, sometimes I do get uh, uh, calls from uh, concerned parents and individuals who uh, have family members that were injured when they were young. But but very, very important to, to make sure that these kinds of claims uh, are started very quickly. Uh, number one, you want to make sure you start the process, this process which naturally takes time just more quickly than otherwise you would be. Because if the process takes two years to resolve or three years, then why wait a year or two years to start that? That's number one. Number two, again, the danger of missing limitation periods. Very important. If you do that, and remember, I, I was speaking about that before, Unfortunately, I've had several claims against lawyers where I've had to actually make claims against lawyers themselves for missing limitation periods. And so their clients became my clients and then the defendant was no longer the department store or the actual oh driver or whoever. It was the lawyer, him or herself, who had missed the limitation period for no apparent reason. But
0: that gets ugly, right? That, that,
1: yeah, it gets ugly and it's unnecessary yep. and I hate doing that. Uh, but it wasn't the individual's fault. Uh, the, the The last thing I would say is that many people who are injured find themselves in uh, trouble economically and financially, especially when they can't work. Uh, It puts a huge strain on the family. A lot of times families even break up. Uh, It affects the children. and affects everyone. So why wait? Well, for the lawyer, the law firm, of course, why would they care? I mean, you know, they have uh, 600,000 other cases on the shelf. This individual, in the meantime, is struggling, really, really struggling uh, to make ends meet and is trying to look for absolutely every financial resources out there uh, to to survive. So again, there is no reason uh, why people should be put into that kind of a situation. Uh, the lawyer, or the law
0: firm, in, in most of these cases, can start the claims fairly early. How do you know if it should, or if it is there degrees of injury or other things where you you yourself might say, ah, oh, just relax, take it easy for now. Or no, we got to get on this. Post-based. Fantastic question, fantastic question. I'll tell you this: that in my experience, both as a
1: defense lawyer and as a plaintiff lawyer, uh, the default position for many lawyers is to simply wait and see, take a wait and see approach. We'll wait for a year. This is what most people hear out there uh, from their lawyer. We'll just wait for a year and we'll see how it goes. My default position is we're going to start the claim now unless there is a reason to wait. And there's a, it makes a huge difference because in between those two worlds, you're going to have a ton of claims where only later, a year or two down the road, mm-hmm. will the client be actually asking their lawyer, why did you wait that long to start my claim? You know why, why did we have to wait until I lost my house? Why did we have to wait until I've exhausted yeah. all of my savings? some cases beg uh, for you to wait on them. Okay. John, if you're in a small fender bender, other than the fact that, you know, if you're able to go back to work tomorrow and you're not really hurt, I'm going to tell you, you have no, no, there's no point making a claim here. Mm -hmm. But in other situations, you're off work uh, for, for, you know, a few days, for a week, for a month, whatever it is for the foreseeable future. I don't care if you broke a bone or not. If you're telling me that you 've been significantly affected by the accident we 're going to start a claim now unless there's a good reason to wait yeah, and that, that's that's very very different than most uh, what most lawyers do. Uh, and and for, for, for the exact re- you know, say, uh, reason that, that, that I gave before, because they have so many other cases
0: that they're going to deal mm-hmm. with, and they don't have the infrastructure to deal with, with, with you know, the amount of claims that are out there. So there you are. If you have any doubt, call Savannah or email on 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll continue. Uh, get to the top of the hour with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM640. Back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio AM640. We're here with Savannah Tamarkin, the show every week, giving you all the details you need to know and the information. If you're in an accident, slip and falls, dealing with your insurance company, you don't have a lawyer yet, this is the show you'll want to catch for sure. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let's talk about long-term disability, shall we, before we get to another email. uh, How serious does my disability have to be for me to qualify?
1: very important questions and one that I get all the time. Uh, Here's a general rule. It has to be serious enough to prevent you from being able to do your own job in the first two years of your disability. So your own job, okay? Uh, Not somebody else's job, not a modified job, your job. After the two-year mark, and this is when we, you know, see a lot of people getting cut off, it's no longer can you do your own job, it's can you do any job But not just any job. Any job for which you are suited for by training, education, or experience. That's very important because oftentimes the insurance company will come back with a list of jobs after they have you seen by an assessor uh, who says, yeah, you can do X, Y, and Z. Meanwhile, these things have nothing to do with the person's training, uh, education, or experience you don't have an obligation to go back to any of those jobs, okay? You have an obligation to, to uh, not an obligation, but you have to show that you can't go to any of the other jobs uh, that uh, you can't do by virtue of education, training, or experience. So, so that's, the, that's the key thing to understand. If you can do uh, the major parts of your job, I mean, we're not talking about going back to work one hour a day. We're talking about being able to do the majority of your yeah. job uh, Then you would qualify for long-term disability. What if uh, I'm denied long-term? What are my options? I've applied. I don't get it. All right. So most people, well, a lot of people who come to me say, listen, I've been denied. And then, uh, you know, they invited me to appeal. Of course, every denial letter, by the way, will say you have X amount of time to appeal the decision. Uh, And and so they tell me I've been denied on so-and-so date. I've now appealed it. I've been denied the appeal. I've tried to appeal again. And I stop them. And I say, wait a second, you appealed? No, that's the wrong thing to do. Why is it the wrong thing to do? Sure, you have the option of appealing. They want you to appeal. They just drag out the process. By the time the first appeal is done and they reject you, and the second appeal is done and they reject you, you're going to be so exhausted. You're just going to say the heck with it. Yeah. You, you know, you're going to just walk away. You're going to turn the other the the, the other way. Uh, so, so what are your options? Well, your options are to simply make a claim against the insurer. That's how you put a gun to their head, in a in a in a, in a figure of of, of speaking. Uh, this is something that is common. This is something that is not difficult to do. It's something that we do all the time. We don't start claims in every case because not every case warrants it. Again, very, very important for people to understand. Mm-hmm. We're not trigger happy. Uh, you know, I, I can not tell you that 10 out of 10 people who contact me uh, in these situations, mm-hmm. we start claims for them. But I can tell you that there is a very high... Uh, uh, um, uh, majority or, or there's a majority of people out there that, that I do start claims for because usually when they come to me, it's because they've been wrong somehow. Uh, somehow they feel that the insurance company hasn't treated them correctly. They've been cut off unjustly. They've done everything they had to do that they try to do. Uh, they fold all the uh, instructions from their family doctor, from their specialist, from whoever. And despite everything, despite trying, the insurance company has cut them off. Uh, so what are their options? Well, their options are three. There are three of them. You appeal it, which I'm telling you not to do because Mm -hmm. you're not going to get very far. In rare situation, you will, but generally you won't. You're just going to uh, waste time. Uh, You can walk away which you shouldn't because you're giving them a gift, or you can call me, we'll start a claim, and trust me when I tell you we're going to resolve your claim and we're going to resolve it in a way that compensates
0: you for, for the cutoff. And that's four one six two one six fifty nine ten help at the insurance lawyer.ca. So I'm dealing with an adjuster, and he's, he's slow, he's lethargic, he's, he's abrasive. Do I have to speak with him? No, you don't. Good. No, you give me a call, I'll speak with
1: him. And you know, John, we talked about that before. Oftentimes, that's what really gives people the, uh, the peace of mind is knowing that I am going to be dealing with these adjusters. They're going to have to go through me now. You're not going to have to pick up the phone or pick up an email from this adjuster, this person who's been harassing you. And oftentimes, John, in these claims, they start off nice. And then as they're about to cut you off and during the cutoff process, they become abrasive and they become yep. condescending. And, you know, again, I'm not going to paint all of them in the same brush, but I can tell you I've heard enough Uh, to to, to say that there has to be some kind of a change in this industry. Uh, It's just not fair for people who are already down on their luck, already dealing with a disability, to have to deal with someone from the insurance company that's supposed to protect them. So if you're in that situation, just give me a call. Me and my team will deal with the insurance company on your behalf. You're not going to have to deal with it.
0: I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to go back to work. But my judge says, oh, you should try. You should just try to go back to work. You might be okay. What do I do? If you're not ready to go back to work, if your doctor is backing
1: you up, then you should not be trying to go back to work. And, and again, I've seen it time and time again where people say, you know what, okay, well, listen, they're forcing me to go back. Maybe there's some pressure from the employer. Uh, you know, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. And what happens? They try against their better judgment, against their doctor's advice, and they get worse. They get worse. And then the insurance company has the gall to say, well, you know, you just didn't do enough or, or you haven't tried long enough. You do not have an obligation to go back and try to work if you don't feel that you can mm-hmm. and if your doctors are saying that you are not ready to go back to work. It's that simple.
0: Let me finish with an email. We've got a couple minutes here. Uh, this comes from Cheryl Belleville. It says, I was cut off long-term disability about 10 months ago and immediately went to a lawyer, smart. He wrote the insurance company a letter and talked with them several times. Nothing is being done. He keeps telling me to be patient and that he's trying to convince them to put me back on disability, but they don't want to. How long do, does this have to go on? Oh, boy. Until well, she calls you.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Cheryl, first of all, I don't know what lawyer you're using, but uh, if he hasn't even started a claim and it's been 10 months now, uh, it, there is just no excuse for that. Yeah. Your claim should have either been resolved by now or, or on its way to being resolved. Okay, you're not going to convince the insurance company of anything. If they don't listen to reason, The way to put the gun to their head, again, figuratively speaking, is to start a claim against them. That starts uh, the clock ticking. They can't escape that. They have one of their lawyers, usually it's an in-house insurance lawyer, dealing with the claim. And I've dealt with them and I've dealt with a variety of these insurance companies, a whole uh, whack of them. And and they understand that when they get a claim on their desk from a lawyer that deals with disability, deals with injuries, Mm -hmm. and they know that that lawyer knows what they're doing, they treat the case seriously. Seriously. And when it comes time to settlement and, and, and to discussing a resolution of the claim, they pony
0: up the money. It's that simple. The way to get a hold of Savan outside of show hours right now is really, really simple. 416-216-5910. And the email is help, help at the insurance Get on it. You need them. Don't waste any time. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio, AM 640.